Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. Welcome to another episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. And today I am chatting with an amazing young man who has managed to kickstart his freelance fashion career as a technical designer in about seven months, starting from absolutely zero. Not only does he not know anybody in the fashion industry to begin with, he has no background in the fashion industry, no formal training, did not go to fashion school, has really DIY'd this whole freelance career of his, and he did it amongst a pandemic, right in the middle of when COVID-19 really hit and everything started going on lockdown. And I can't wait for you to hear his story. He has so many great insights as to how you can get started, even if you don't know anybody, even if you don't have all these skills, all the even ifs that we can throw at, all the reasons why I'm not doing this thing. And so I'm really, really excited to introduce you to Alex Reed today and let him share his story and all the lessons that he's learned from working for free and what do you do if you don't know something and trying to learn about your customer and understand who they are and what they need and how you can help them. And I know you're going to love this episode so much if you are trying to kickstart a freelance career or you already have a freelance career going, there's something valuable for you to learn in this interview with Alex. Now, before we get into the interview, I want to remind you that SFD is way more than a podcast. We have tons of free resources on freelancing, landing your dream job, using Illustrator for fashion, tech packs, and so much more. And I want to make sure that you get your hands on all of those resources. So the best way to do that is to head on over to SoHeidi.com slash email. It's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email. And Drop your information there and I will hand deliver you all of my best picked resources on your free, your fashion career, freelancing, dream job, tech packs, illustrator, all of the things. And I want to make sure that you get those. So again, head on over to soheidi.com slash email, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email, and I will send you all of those resources. You can also follow along on Instagram if email is not your thing. I am there at soheidi as well. As always, you can access the show notes by scrolling down wherever you're listening. And now let's jump into the interview with Alex. Welcome to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, Alex. Can you please start by introducing yourself to everyone and letting us know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry? Sure. So my name is Alex Reed. I'm 26 years old from the East Coast of Canada, currently living in Ottawa, and I am a self-taught freelance technical fashion designer. What I do is I work with startup and small casual wear brands to help translate their designers' creative visions into the necessary instructions to create the physical garments they see on the runway. Wow, you have your pitch like really dialed in. Can I ask, was that off the top of your head? Or maybe practice, uh, was, but from your head, you didn't read it off paper. <laughs> yeah, it was half ad-libbed. Okay. Um, the other day, yeah, I was writing, just writing some notes and some speaking points. I like to do that. I don't write out everything I want to say, but throughout, like, throughout university and throughout my work, because my 
professional background is mainly in business and sales. Okay. It's always it's always important to have certain talking points and certain core things that you know and have in writing. Yeah. And then you can kind of build an ad lib around that to have a more more organic conversation. Yeah, because that was just, um, I mean, I hear a lot of, you know, pitches or introductions on the podcast, which in a way is a little elevator pitch of who you are and what you do. And yours was just really refined. Um, and so I know a little bit about your background because speaking of pitching, you sent a phenomenal pitch to ask to be on the show. Um, and you do not have a fashion background. You you just mentioned you went to school for business. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are now and give us a rough timeline. Because I know you said you're 26, but when did this all, the technical design part of your career start and all of that? Give us a quick background. So I will rewind back to high school, grade 11, because that's when my I'll say awareness of fashion really started because prior to that, I was just your normal teenager. I didn't really care about clothes or how I dressed or how I looked, but it all changed in grade 11. And I can actually tell you the specific instance. It was my afternoon English class and I I went, I don't remember what led me to, but that day I, I dressed up basically. I was wearing this Tommy Hilfiger V-neck sweater, this nice houndstooth scarf I had gotten in Ireland the year before, and it, it just felt good. I felt I felt like a different person, to be honest. And as you and I'm sure everyone listening is well aware, you know, when you're in high school, you're going through puberty. It's a year of a lot of <laughs> years of a lot of uncertainty, a lot of changes, and you're really trying to figure out who you are. And so I'll never forget how I felt walking into class you know, having dressed what to me at the time was dressed really well. I look back on it now and of course I cringe, but (laughs) in the moment, in the moment it felt incredible. And so that really started my, you know, my, my passion for fashion. Now, typically you would hear this story continue on as then I went to university where I studied fashion design. Then I got an internship, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I didn't do that. So as mentioned a few minutes ago, I went to school for business, specifically international business and global financial management. The reason I did that was because I, I basically let my environment influence me into what I, I decided to study. And for those listeners who are not familiar with Ottawa, it's the capital of Canada. It's a it's a weird little microcosm of a city because it's relatively small, a little over a million people, and it's absolutely dominated by the public sector. I don't have an exact figure, but about a third of the population works directly for the government, and a majority of the rest work in industries or businesses directly servicing the government. Wow. Yeah, and so fashion really isn't a thing in Ottawa, and it's nigh on impossible to come across anyone who works in that industry in any capacity. And so my thinking was very much influenced and shaped by, you know, what my friends were going to go design, uh, go study rather, what my parents um, thought. And so, yeah, I, I basically, I let, I let society convince me or influence me that, oh, I wanted to study business. I wanted to do you know, the traditional kind of cookie cutter path, go to school, study accounting or finance, get a job at a firm, spend my 40 years there, retire, et cetera, et cetera. 
And it wasn't until I graduated and entered the professional workforce that I realized, why, why did I do this? I hate it. Because my degree was specialized in finance. I thought I wanted to be a banker. Went into banking and I, I hated it. I hated the, the sales pressure. I hated the, like, the environment and knowing that what I was doing was in the interest of the company and not the, the customer. And so it kind of threw me into a, a, bit of a, a bit of a quarter life crisis because I was like 22, 23 at the time. And so I spent the next couple of years bad, bouncing around in a couple of different jobs before eventually landing in the government where I finally said, okay, I need to take a step back, look around and really ask myself what it is I want to do, what my values are. And as I did that, I real I came to realize that it was fashion and fashion design all along that really spoke to me. I love to create things. I love to help others, you know, manifest their visions and create what they want to do. And so I decided that, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to start trying to build a knowledge base and a skill base to, to perform an eventual career pivot. And it was, it was a little hard. It was a little hard. There is an academy, a very small fashion design academy here in Ottawa. And so I decided to take a class starting from the very basics, illustration, took a class there. I also took a basic sewing class, and this was just in fall of 2019, so last year. So it's it's all very recent, relatively speaking. And it wasn't until, I want to say, late November, early December 2019 that I actually stumbled across your YouTube tutorials and your YouTube channel while I was looking at, uh, at Illustrator tutorials. And so that naturally led me to your blog, your podcast, your website, all your resources. And then I got an email from your mailing list one day about the successful fashion freelancer course. And right away that clicked. I figured that actually seems like the perfect avenue for me because I wasn't about to go back to university, spend another you know tens of thousands of dollars in four years to get an undergrad in fashion design. And I was, you know, and I still am in a comfortable position with my day job. And so this seemed like the perfect avenue to actually start making inroads into the fashion industry. So, wow, this is all a lot sooner than I realized. I mean, okay, so just for transparency, everyone, we're recording. It's June 2020. So, because this will be released a little bit later. Um, You sort of discovered a lot of this in fall 2019, took some classes locally, found the SFD blog and website, and then dove into the freelance course. Um, What were you thinking in terms of like, what is my, what service am I going to be able to provide people as a freelancer? Because I look at, you know, your skill set and I'm like, okay, so you you wore this great outfit in high school, this Tommy Hilfiger sweater and your houndstooth scarf and you felt like, oh, that felt so good. You know, fast forward, you're doing banking and you're like, oh, this is not really working. I want to do something fashion. And then you dive in and here you are. I know you're freelancing and, and working right now in the industry as a technical designer, which is phenomenal. And I'm trying to figure out, wow, this all happened so quickly. So where were you at headspace-wise in terms of like, oh, well, and I ask this because I know a lot of people struggle with, 
well, what do I have to offer? Like, what could I actually provide for potential clients, right? So you're coming mm-hmm. at it not only without any experience in the industry, you know, some people are like, oh, maybe I had an internship or something, but you're coming at it like really green. Yeah. So the way I landed on the technical designer, it was really a matter of introspection and being very honest with myself because most people, well, I would say pretty much everyone who operates outside the fashion industry imagines everyone who works in fashion to be the kind of artsy types who frolic in fabric all day. (laughs) Yeah. You know, your typical creative director roles, you know, your Mark Jacobs of the world, your Tom Fords. But that really isn't the case. And I am not the most creative person. As much as I wish I was, I'll be the first to admit that I don't have the boundless creativity you see from some people. And so as much as I would like to, you know, act in a more creative design role and see things from my imagination, spring from my imagination into real life, my, my skills are much stronger in the more analytical and technical aspects of design. Mm-hmm. And so being you know, very honest with myself, I said, well, if I tried to pitch myself as a creative designer, I probably wouldn't do very well because it's just, it, it's just not who I am, at least at this time. But what I am is detail-oriented, methodical, and analytical. And where do those skills fall into the whole fashion design process well more on the technical side yeah and it's yeah it's the harsh truth I think for a lot of people that the thing that you're best at is often not what you want to do (laughs) and so you have to you have to ask yourself whether it's more important to you know try what you what you want to do and maybe maybe not be that good at it and maybe not find as much success or Focus on what you know you'd be good at doing. Capitalize on those skills, even if it's not, let's say, the most glorious thing. Maybe if it's not exactly what you want to do, but you'll be really good at it. And then from there, you could try to learn, um, you know, refine the skills, and later on move into more work that's in line with what you want to do. Okay, so you, I mean, you're pretty introspective for 26. I <laughs> I think back to when I was your age. I definitely was not thinking about this sort of thing. Um, so, okay, so you really looked at your skills, and you're like, this is where I think I can excel. Um, and you mentioned in your email to me to ask to be on the show, um, You, I'll just quote, um, which I usually don't do, but like you had put you put so many great points in here that I want to touch on. Um, you said I put in many dozens of hours over months to teach myself all I could while working a full time job and with another project on the side. Um, so you're working. We're kind of funneling through fall 2019 into you know winter 2020 and then ultimately spring 2020, which uh, the world kind of turns upside down. Um, mm-hmm. So. Tell us a little bit about that time and what that was like and how that went for you, juggling all these things and then, you know, a pandemic and life gets really crazy. So it really, it didn't feel like work. I mean, it's cliche to say, but when it's something you really, really enjoy, you know, it doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel like effort. So yeah, my day job is as an analyst with the Canadian Coast Guard. So I am a public servant and that affords me the, the very 
you know, it affords me a very privileged position in that I have a stable, secure job that has normal working hours. I'm not being, you know, I'm not doing shift work. I have, I know that I have my evenings and weekends free. Yeah. So I capitalized on that to, you know, to basically do, as I said in my email and try and teach myself everything. So Illustrator and illustration was the was the very first thing I focused on doing the fashion flats, and it's and then I'm just trying to teach myself more about just the process and the the industry overall, because as someone without a formal education in fashion, there's so much that I don't know, and it's way more than just oh yeah, let me do up a couple flats in Illustrator maybe create a tech pack in Excel, then off you go. There's so many little, you know, as different aspects and intricacies. And so it's really been trying to cover cover all my bases and I try and spend, you know, three to four hours every night just watching tutorials, practicing, reading, like ordering books. And and yeah, so I've uh, I've always prior you know, I've always um, prided myself on being a quick learner. And so from about mid-January 2020 is when I really started ramping it up till about, uh, I want to say, yeah, mid-March, mid-March or so. Okay. That's what I was doing. And during that time, I'd actually landed my first two clients. And now the way that I got there, I have a friend from my university days who has started his own business. It's a small business consulting firm. And I reached out to him to meet over coffee and pick his brain a little bit about entrepreneurship because as I was you know, thinking into the future about my freelance career, I wanted to see you know, what things he had found helped him, like what mistakes he made and you know, could have avoided. And so as we were talking, he asks you know, what it is that I, I plan to do and I tell him, well, I plan to do, you know, fashion design thinking you know thinking of focusing more on the technical aspects because that's where my skill set would be uh would be most useful and he said well wouldn't you, you know wouldn't you know he was working with a client right then and there who was looking to start a fashion brand and so he asked me if I'd be willing to go on board and help them out and I said well yeah absolutely and from there, he actually had another person who he who we knew was who was thinking about starting a brand, but didn't know you know didn't know how to start, where to start, and she wanted someone to talk to. So I said, "Hey, listen, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with her and see what she's thinking, and maybe help her out if I could." And so that that's how that started. So it was all very, very sudden, not not planned, <laughs> and I basically. My career kind of got started before I, you know, officially felt ready or officially launched everything because I didn't even have a portfolio at the time. Yeah, I'd show them. I'd show them examples of things I did and uh, what I basically did. I just, I just sold myself. I said, "Listen, you know, I'm just starting out, so I am, you know, I'm fully cognizant that there's a large degree of trust that would have to be, you know, that have to be in play here." But, you know, this is me. This is what I can do. This is what I will do. And if there's something that we encounter that I'm not sure, I will learn and I will do it. I love that. So a couple things I just want to highlight for listeners out there because I think there's a lot of key takeaways. Um, 
One is that you didn't know anybody in the industry because a lot of people are like, oh, you know, we talk a lot about on the show and, and in the freelance course. Um, you Yes, you can you throw yourself out there and you pitch. But at the end of the day, most of the work comes through contacts, referrals, your network. And people are like, oh, but I don't live in a fashion hub. I don't know anybody in the industry, blah, blah, blah. And like, neither do you. Neither did you. And you just randomly had this conversation with your friend who led to this other connection that you would never have fathomed. And he directly has nothing to do with fashion. But I throw that out there because you never know where these people are sort of, these relationships and these people are connected and these hidden um, sort of introductions you can get unless you start talking openly about what you're doing and putting yourself out there on that level. So this casual conversation that went from just chatting about entrepreneurship led to two clients. And then beyond that, you, I love how you were very transparent with them about, listen, I'm just starting out. If I don't know something, I'll figure it out. Um, and kickstarting, and I mean, you said it in your email to me, sort of shattering your comfort zone and putting yourself out there before you're, you're actually ready. Um, but I love that you were transparent with your clients about that because it's very easy for us to say, oh, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, I'm not ready, and spend years getting ready, right? We can do this. Um, but instead, if you're open and honest about it, I think you can dive into those opportunities a lot sooner. And so how did you, how did having that open conversation with the client feel to you in terms of saying, listen, if I don't know something, I'll figure it out and I'm new to this, but we're going to make it happen. Like, how did that conversation feel to you to set the tone for your working relationship? Oh, it, it was very easy. And I, I say this because, and this is where we get into what is my biggest competitive advantage, which is my business background. Yeah. Fashion is a business at the end of the day. Yeah. And this is something that a lot of people, you know, especially those who study, let's say, pure fashion design and don't have much experience in a business environment, this is where they may feel a little uncomfortable. But the key concept to, to think about is managing expectations. And so the reason why so many customer interactions or, let's say, say you know, sales pitches, client interactions go wrong is because you don't accurately manage the customer's expectations. Yeah. So if I had gone to them and said, hey, yeah, I can do this, that, and everything, well, then I'm setting the bar way too high and it's, you know, I'm setting it way above the threshold of my current skills. And so instead, what you have to do is, is be honest and say, hey, listen, this is what I can do. This is what I think you need. And this is what I think I could reasonably learn and adapt to given what it is that you're looking, what you're looking to do with your business. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's a conversation that the first couple times you have it will feel very, very awkward. It'll feel intimidating and you're going to feel, you're going to feel like you're selling yourself short. You're going to feel like, you know, because I, I remember the first time I, I was ever had that kind of an interaction. It wasn't in a, a fashion or a freelance context, but I, I felt like, oh, why am I doing this? I'm basically telling the person I'm an idiot. <laughs> but it, it's not the case because at the end of the day, you're just a human being. They're just a human being, and human beings we appreciate the sincerity and honesty above all else. Yeah. No, it's very true. It's very true. I love those points. 
Um, so you got these two clients and what did your arrangement look like with them? What did you wind up deciding to do for them? And how did you figure out, you know, what the service really looked like? And I want to hear a little bit about the details in terms of the project scope and how you figured out your pricing and um, the nitty gritty of that. Cause I, I know that's somewhere that a lot of people get stuck, especially with the first few clients. Yeah. So I'll start with pricing. And <laughs> as you know, I, I basically jumped the gun and I offered to do these projects for free. Yeah. And so it's not, yeah, it's something I w- would have absolutely done differently if I could go back and, you know, and redo these decisions. Yeah. At the same time though, I, I'm fully cognizant that I am in a you know a very fortunate position to be able to offer to do these things for free and not have to worry about you know the the opportunity cost of not getting you know some type of income from it. Now, with anyone else who is out there who is thinking of starting starting freelance, I would say, and this echoes I think your philosophy, Heidi, that you should never do anything for free. Even if you ask for just a small amount, let's say a small hourly amount or build a project at let's say maybe a lower rate than than you would if you were, you know, kind of in, in full gear and established, it's important to have constraints. And so when you're talking about business or a project, there are always constraints, external constraints and internal constraints. If I am, let's say for example, I'm responsible for doing the arranging the choreography for an upcoming Mark Jacobs show. Well, my external constraint will be the date of the show. Everything has to be done and completed by that time. My internal constraint is my budget. How much can I spend on a choreographer? How can how much can I spend on dancers? And if you take that away, in my case, not actually charging anything, well, you're just opening yourself up to doing as much as they ask or need you to do. And it can be a very tricky situation to navigate if all of a sudden you come at them with, well, actually, you know, this is getting to be a little too much because they don't, they never had that, that kind of constraint mentality. And they never, you know, they never saw you as, okay, you know, I have to, I have these boundaries within which to work with Alex and I need to make sure to use him efficiently. Yeah. So did, what happened with your two projects? Did you do, you said you did both those two projects for free. Yes. And so the first one is finishing up just now. So it was slated to be done uh, about two or three weeks ago, but as we all know, the world, like the world has, uh, has not been, you know, in the status quo for some months now. So things have been pushed back a little bit, but overall it's been, it's it's been a really valuable learning experience. It's been really great. I've learned so much in dealing with both factories, the client, the process. And, and yeah, it's, it's something that I'm really happy to have done. And I'd be, you know, I'd be really happy to work with this client in the future. The second one is a much longer process because they're she's looking to build her brand up from scratch, and this is one where I say, yeah, I've potentially opened myself up to a much longer time frame than I envisioned because there was no hard due date. 
but going back to you know my my current employment situation, it's it's something I can afford to do, and it's something that I don't want to rush as well because I'm still learning so much. Yeah. So the first one um, you said, the first project, which you said is just wrapping up now, it was supposed to wrap up a couple weeks ago, you said you learned quite a bit about, you know, working with the factories and going through the whole project process. Can you share some of the lessons that you've learned that you think are really valuable that you'll carry into your future projects? Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, every single minute detail no matter how inconsequential you think it might be <laughs> put it in and explain it yeah yeah like you cannot assume that they will know what they're doing even if they're a full package production factory which yeah. is the ones that we're working with we were working yeah we're working with a couple a couple different factories to, that specialize in a couple different products and even though we have the advantage of not having to worry about the tech packs in the sense of we don't need to provide a bomb or a graded spec or worry about pattern designing because they do all that in-house, it's also, yeah, it's very easy. And we've had a couple samples come back that have not been exactly what we envisioned just because something that we said that is obvious to you or I as native English speakers to them, they you know they interpreted it a very different way, yeah. And so it results in yeah, so wasted time and money to pay for then a correct sample and wait for that to be shipped over. Yeah. So yeah, that was the yeah that was the the biggest big takeaway from everything. Absolutely. Yeah. What about like sort of navigating, um, besides the actual work itself, what about navigating and controlling and managing the project and the client and some of the more freelance aspects of it? And maybe some of these things came really easy to you because you have sort of a business and a sales background. But, you know, I, I think, you know, like we talked about earlier, a lot of people are coming into the freelance space with maybe I've got a stronger or I at least have some type of foundation in the fashion sense but they don't have some of these other skills that maybe you had, you know, your competitive advantage, as you put it, um, coming in from just a business side and working with the client and the whole freelance aspect. What do you think some of the lessons you've learned there have been? Yeah, so this is something that's a little related to managing expectations, but it's managing upwards. So everyone thinks of a, you know, a boss as top-down leadership boss gives you orders you execute those orders case closed you know it's much the same in a freelance sense where you have your client the brand who hires you whoever is responsible for overseeing you some manager or design director will tell you what they want and then you execute it but equally as important is you managing them and when I say that, I don't mean that you're telling them what to do because, of course, that's not, that's not how the hierarchy works and it's not going to leave you in their good books if you're going and giving them orders. What it does mean is that you're proactive and you're directing their attention to where it needs to go. So if they're fretting and fussing over some minute detail, it's your responsibility to tell them, hey, this isn't actually a concern. What you should be looking at instead is whatever. And so it's, yeah, so it's managing their focus and, and letting them know, first of all, 
that you've got this. You know, every manager, and I say this as someone who has been in managerial positions, every manager wants nothing more than to have absolute faith in the the people working under them. And if you can show that by telling by basically telling them, hey, I've got this. Here is where you should be looking or focusing your efforts. And I think this is something that now that we should be looking into. That goes a long way. It goes a long way and it'll make the working relationship and the project go so much smoother yeah. rather than if you let them basically dictate everything and you're just always, you're always in a, a responsive posture instead of a proactive posture. Yeah. And I think that like, depending on your background and what you've done before freelancing, I think that can actually be a really, really hard thing to do. Um, oh, because, absolutely. Right? Because sometimes I think people look at it like, oh, well, the client's paying me. They should be calling all the shots. And on another level, you need to look at it as, no, they've hired you because you have, and I say this word lightly, but expertise, because I think that people can, oh, well, I'm not an expert. But mm-hmm. you're more of an expert than they perhaps are. And maybe or maybe not. I mean, depending on what kind of brand you're working with, right? If it's a small yeah. startup versus you're working with an established brand. Either mm-hmm. way, you have knowledge, you have an opinion, and they want to hear that stuff. Like, yeah, you you put it across tactfully, but mm-hmm. you need to put that forward and not sit there and, and I hate to say this, but I used to be this way, just be that mousy person that's like, okay, yes, and just nod your head to everything. That's not what they want. Yes, exactly, exactly. Brands don't want to hire a yes man or a yes woman. Right. They want to hire someone who tells them what to do. Yep. And if you know, if you find that you're working for someone who who does not follow that and does not want to hear anything from you, well, that's that's the sign of poor management and that's not a brand you should be working with. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, okay, so some of these things I think come a little more naturally or easily to you based on your background. Um, but that's a phenomenal one to point out is that you you should stand up and and be proactive and have an opinion and have a voice. Um, we'll get back to this episode in twenty seconds, but real quick, did you know that the SFD podcast is sponsored by you? We don't interrupt your listening experience with ads and instead rely on your support. There are three ways you can do that. One, tell a friend about the podcast. Two, Sign up for the email list at soheidi.com slash email. That's S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I dot com slash email. Three, write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for supporting the SFD podcast. Now back to the episode. So what else besides these two clients that came through your entrepreneurial friend? Because you mentioned in your pitch to me that you um, you said, you know, I didn't really have a lot of contacts to, to reach out to in the fashion industry. Um but you forced yourself to do something pretty bold. Um, do you n- remember what I'm referencing from your email? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Tell us about so, it. Yeah. So like you said, I I knew and I, well, yeah, I knew pretty much nobody in the fashion industry. And so one of the big challenges I faced when I was you know, outlining my freelance idea and vision was, well, how do I get feedback from people in the industry on the, well, what needs are actually out there. And so this is something that I was, yeah, I was wrestling with, with for a little time. But, you know, as luck or fate or whatever you call it would have it, in about mid-February, I received a promotional email from Amex. And, of course, you know how your credit card will send you, you know, different 
discounts and offers from time to time. Well, this one turned out to be a VIP ticket to the Toronto International Fashion Experience, which is a fashion show in Toronto that brings together several designers, both domestic and international. And one line in particular stuck out to me, and it was meet and greet with the designers. Mm. And there I was, you know, my mind immediately went, uh, yes, please. So I bought a ticket. And then three weeks later, I was driving to Toronto to go to this fashion show. I was by myself. I knew nobody there. And yeah, it was a very, it was a bit of an intimidating experience at first. Absolutely. And walking, yeah, walking in, you know, walking into the, like that little VIP lounge. I, I absolutely, I had a, such a bad case of imposter syndrome. I was yeah. like, what? doing here <laughs> I, I, longer, I look at all these people they're decked out head to toe chanel gucci everything and i'm there in like my little zara coat because i can't afford like a gucci sweater yeah, or anything. Yeah, yeah. but yeah it was it was it was interesting and then once we got you know into the into the room waiting for the first show it started and it was a magical experience it was the first fashion show i've ever been to and it was oh, it was such such an incredible experience and I knew what I had to do. I, ne- I needed to start talking to people. And so one of the advantages of having that B- VIP ticket was that we got priority seating. So I was sat in the second row right behind the designers, like entourages, their friends, yeah, and the people who worked on it. And so I was sat be- behind this, uh, this one guy, this young guy, and I had heard him earlier speaking to a couple of women about the soundtrack for the show and he was the one who had produced it and so after the show was over i just went up to him i introduced myself and said hey i heard you talking about how you did the music for this show i think you did a really fantastic job like thank you and we just hit it off right away and he then a few minutes later introduced me to the stylist the designer and i got the opportunity to go and ask them some questions and that's pretty much what I did for the rest of the night in between shows. We'd mingle. I would approach the designer more often their entourage. And the easiest way to get a conversation started in any kind of fashion context, just compliment something that the person's wearing. Yes, and then totally. boom, floodgate, floodgates open. And so I was able to speak to some, yeah, to some domestic designers, and designers from the States as well, one from the LA LA area. And I got I got some really good feedback. I was talking to them and asking them about, you know, what they found to be the most difficult part of the whole design production process. And I would tell them about, you know, what it was I was thinking of doing with, as a uh, technical freelance designer. And the responses were unequivocally, that is awesome. That is needed. And so that in that one night, I was able to talk to so many people and just get so much valuable feedback that I, I left knowing for sure that the direction I was taking was the right one. Yeah. Now, this is something that I talk about it casually in my freelance book, um, which is a free resource on my site, but much more extensively in the freelance course, which you took. And um, it's this customer research component, which, as you mentioned, can be very uncomfortable Um, I think most people, not I think, most people want to just go out and say, oh, I have this service, do you want to hire me, right? It's kind of like throwing Mm -hmm. your resume or your portfolio at people. But in reality, what 
what works best and what you just experienced was just having conversations with people like, where are you having trouble? You know, where are things getting stuck? What's the most difficult part of the process? And then, of course, you're transparent with them about who you are and what you do. Like you said, you talk to them about the fact that you're doing freelance technical design. Um, and the conversation sort of organically builds from there. And so you said you were able to, you know, walk away with some some great contacts and um, you just got to meet a ton of people and learn a lot about where their challenges are and maybe how you can help them. Am I putting words in your mouth or? Nope, nope. That's okay. 100%. So walking away from that, how long were you there for? It was a couple days or? Nope, it was just one day. Oh, just one day. Total, okay. Yeah, it was about five hours altogether. Oh, okay. Um, but but then walking away from that, what what did you have for like the next step in, and when was this? When did you go to this thing? Right before COVID hit? Yeah, this was right before COVID. So it was March 7th, March oh, literally 8th, whichever like one the was before. the Saturday. Okay. Yeah. So why, the week before everything went into lockdown. Yeah. And so okay. naturally that kind of threw my plans off a little <laughs> bit because by now I had originally envisioned to be aggressively pitching and working with multiple clients. Well, yeah. you know, now things are just starting to open up. I'm not sure about down where you are, but up here where I am, things are slowly starting to yeah. open up again. But yeah, it was pretty much me being in a holding pattern for the last couple months. And that's and obviously out of anyone's control. Exactly. And so what I did was I took advantage of the time to just you know, continue building my skills, refining them, and then starting to branch out and study other aspects of fashion design too. Because even though I'm not a pattern maker, even though I'm not a textile designer, I still picked up books on pattern making, on textile design to learn more about them because there are different aspects that will inform the work that I do as a technical designer, whether it's being able to recommend a different fabric to someone who's thinking of using you know, X instead of Y or being able to say, okay, I see what you're, you know, what you're proposing here this, for this design, but that's not going to be very you know, feasible from a technical or a construction standpoint, maybe you should do this instead. Yeah. And it's about reinforcing the value add that I have. Yes. I love that. I love that. Um, there's always opportunity in these downtimes to expand your skill set, even like you said, on the periphery of the actual service that you're offering, because all those little bits can, everything's a, a you know, is a, uh, I'm trying to think of the analogy. I was going to say a domino, but it's not a domino. But anyways, everything kind of affects the other thing, right? So Yeah, everything is related yeah. in, some, in some way, even yeah. if it's just tangentially. You never yes. know what could, yeah, what could help. And it's often said that the best and the most innovative perspectives come from outside. Yes, I love that. Um, so... So walking away from the the VIP fashion experience and COVID hits and as you said things are slowly starting to pick back up now. Um, where does that put you? Have you been pitching? Have you have you gotten some paid projects? Are you working on the? You're finishing up these two, the two free projects. But kind of where are you at for the next stages or or what's been happening in the past couple weeks? So I'm finishing up these two projects. I haven't been pitching because I've been looking to, well, I've been focused a lot on the last two weeks on a financial literacy initiative that I'm launching next week with a friend. 
So that's the that's the other side project that I know you mentioned earlier on in this conversation. Yeah, it's something. Even though I you know I don't identify or want to work in business anymore, it doesn't mean that I want to leave that world behind. I want to do something to to help give back and you know help make a difference. And so financial literacy is always something that's been very important and very helpful to me. So so yeah, my let's say my momentum in the freelance career isn't let's say as quick or strong as someone who is only dedicated to that Mm -hmm. but I am still also yeah looking to refine pitches and looking to build a list of of prospects to reach out to once things start picking back up again yeah and that leads me to uh an issue I've been having which is knowing who to reach out to and trying to find that needle in the haystack. And it's something I remember I mentioned in my email, the, the proliferation of, you know, Instagram drop shipping brands and those who really, you know, who, who really aren't like a fashion brand in the sense that you or I think of it. Right. Sort of like some of the print on demand and like, Oh, anyone can make a quick t-shirt or pair of leggings type of thing. Yeah. The ones who will, you know, let's say they'll, come up with a brand name and then they'll just drop shit. They'll source things from Alibaba right. or Taobao and, and yeah, and, and just do that. And so it's, I know social media is such a powerful tool in researching brands and, you know, finding prospective clients. But now we have this other, you know, this flip side of the coin, which is, okay, well, how do we, you know, how can we make sure that the the brand that we're reaching out to, you know, we're not, I'll say wasting our time, but as but it's more you know how do we make sure that this is a brand that'll be the right fit for you know for for us because as designers we also we, you know we also have to be aware that our name and our brand is influenced and attached to every project that we work on yeah and nowadays especially with the environmental impact of fashion being called more and more into question. I think that designers have to take a long, hard look at who they work with and whether or not they're okay with, you know, in some cases, essentially enabling the the waste and the excess that goes on in the fashion industry. Yeah, I know it's something that I personally wrestle really hard with, and I'm making a conscious effort to try and only work with brands that you know promote and prove to have sustainable practices and ethical practices. Now that of course can narrow the field considerably. I'm not saying that, you know, every brand out there is unethical or anything. But fashion just by its nature is a wasteful industry. Yeah. And so as designers we have a responsibility to try and promote sustainable and ethical business practices wherever we can. And so what are you doing to, I mean, and it is kind of a needle in a haystack hunt. I won't deny that it is a challenge to find those right brands to reach out and pitch to, but what are you doing and sort of what um, strategies have you maybe started to see some success with in terms of digging and digging and digging and finding the right brands that align with your values in the industry that you would want to work with? So in that sense, it's getting easier and easier because a lot of brands, they now put their, you know, their, let's say, manifesto 
front and center on their websites. It's easy to find. They talk about their sustainability practices, how, let's say, they'll use recycled, you know, recycled textiles from, you know, X place or Y place. And so having just just even something as simple as taking 10, 15 minutes, browsing a company's website, looking at, I know, looking at history and looking at looking at their social media too and looking at the comments. I I remember I came across one brand last week that whose name I was been familiar with that promote like a whole eco-conscious aesthetic and ethos. You know, we are going to do this for the environment for every shirt that we sell. Mm-hmm. And then in all of the comments you have people saying, Yes, but you manufacture in China, so you're being very hypocritical. And so it's being aware of all these things. And it's, you know, sometimes it's still, it's a matter of acting on the balance of probability. You do your research on a brand, you read up on them and you see, okay, they seem like they're going to, you know, they seem like they're, they have a good operation. Let me reach out. And then if a conversation starts, then you can ask them a little more about it. Yeah. Another way to think about it is you can actively reach out to the brands that, you know, let's say maybe they don't promote sustainable practices. They maybe they don't do that. And you can approach that from the mindset of a change agent and think, well, maybe I could work with this brand and maybe I could help to encourage them to adopt some sustainable practices. I can do the work and show them, hey, listen, uh, no, this is what I can do. And here are some, let's say, I don't know, let's say sustainable factories, sustainable textile mills that you can work with and you can act as a change agent for these brands. Yeah. And I think that's such a great point too, because I think a lot of times brands are in a position where it's like, we would like to do this, but it's just another thing. And we don't have maybe someone on the team or someone in our instant, our immediate network who can tackle this. And so, well, we'll just do it later. We'll just do it later. We'll just do it later. Mm -hmm. But then when you, you say as sort of the change agent comes to the table and says, Hey, have you thought about this? I think it could be something really cool for your brand. Like, you know what? We have been thinking about it. And it was just a matter of like the right time when the person came knocking on the door and let's initiate a conversation. Yeah, exactly. And it it doesn't even have to be directly related to the work that you're doing. Let's say I'm doing, you know, some technical sketches for a brand. You could pitch the idea something like, hey, have you ever thought about doing, let's say, a buyback program? If someone has, you know, one of your garments that is, I don't want to say distressed or ripped or in need of mending. Have you ever thought about, let's say, for example, buying that back, mending it yourselves, and then reselling it? You know, maybe through a like a, a sub label. Yeah, I think I don't think Patagonia does it quite that way, but Patagonia is pretty fi- well known for having some type of buyback program like that. I'm not sure. If yeah, they're yeah. they're a really good example. I think Osprey does it as well. Ah, yes, I think you're right. Um. So, and then like to. Take a step back even further. Where are you finding these? I mean, you mentioned social media, but like, where are you finding these brands on social media? Are you can I and I ask this because it's a question I get asked a lot. Where do I find these brands to pitch to? Are you following hashtags? Like, what sort of research are you doing to even find these accounts and these websites in the first place? Yeah, so following hashtags, searching up different hashtags, and see what comes up. A lot of them appear to me as ads, as sponsored posts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Just because and you're so, engaging with that content. Exactly, exactly. And so this is one area where you can actually use the internet and you know the big advertisers to your advantage. 
because the more you interact with a certain type of content, the more that type of content is going to be promoted on your social media. Yes. And so it's, yeah, it's a very, a very snowball effect. And so I'm at the point now where I think every single sponsored post I see on my Instagram is a fashion brand. Mm. That's great. And so, yeah. And so that, that definitely helps the process. It helps at least get a lot of leads for, you know, to, to then do further research into. But apart from that, it's something, you know, it can be just as simple as, as Googling, you know, uh, let me see, for example, I don't know, like Halifax leatherworking brands, you know, and just pick different locations, pick different types of brands and see what comes back. Yeah. I think this is one of those places you kind of just have to let yourself get stuck in the rabbit hole of research. And I say that with a grain of salt because I think then what can happen is people can spend a lot of time researching the brands to pitch to and never actually start pitching because that can start to feel like the really, really scary part. Um, Yeah. But to some extent, you do have to go down that rabbit hole and like Instagram. And I love the sort of feedback loop of then the the sponsored posts getting getting pushed towards your feed. Um, And then I know another great one. I think I talk about in the book and the freelance course, but is um, trade show listings, right? And just see like who's mm-hmm. who's having a booth at you know this sustainable trade show, or if you're a textile designer, right? Like what are the big textile shows or whatever it is that you do. Um, so I don't know if that's something you've explored and seen success with. Yeah, so I haven't gone to a trade show. There is one. Well, well not, e- or not even August. Sorry to interrupt. Not even go to it necessarily, but just look at the mm-hmm. listing and just see who's who's. Uh, present at that trade show and then researching those brands and then there's a ton of brands you could potentially pitch to you don't even have to go to the trade show although you can yeah no definitely it's definitely it's something i've looked at a little bit the the one that i have looked at that i'm i can call to mind really easily there there wasn't a lot there it was it was very internationally focused and a lot of chinese suppliers and it didn't really give a lot of information as to the brands there were definitely some some let's say viable options there Mm -hmm. but yeah like different trade shows absolutely it's not an avenue i've explored very you know in very much depth but it's something i do plan to moving forward yeah i love that well you have done a phenomenal amount in probably what amounts to what seven eight months of time starting from zero i'd say so yeah literally starting from zero um, as far as the fashion world goes and freelancing, right? Like you work in a, in a, in a job, but you're an employee. Freelancing is very different. I mean, there's, there's parallels. And as you said, you've learned, you've taken some of the stuff you learned as, as being in business and being a salesperson and applied it. But, um, I, you know, I'd really put you at starting at zero in the last seven or eight months with a pandemic thrown in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm really excited to hear, you know, how your journey continues to expand and develop over the rest of 2020 and beyond. Um, you'll have to keep me and, and the, the listeners, you know, maybe we'll have to do a catch up episode in a year or something just to see where you're at and, um, see how you've continued to grow this amazing foundation you've built. Um, you know, I want to reiterate while working full time, while working on other side projects, you managed to find the time where, where do you muster up? Um, and maybe you already touched on this cause it's something you're so passionate, so excited about, but are there days where you're just like, oh, I don't want to do this, or you just feel like giving up, or like it's hard because you've just worked a long day and you maybe just want to like sit in front of the TV? Do you ever feel like that? And what do you kind of do to keep yourself going forward on this? 
Oh, absolutely. That's pretty much every day. <laughs> but it's, you know, it, it definitely gets overwhelming at times. But it's a matter of, of just being disciplined. It's, yeah, so what I'll do is I'll say, I'll talk about motivation for a second. Now, motivation is a word that I do not like. It's a word that represents a very fleeting, temporary state of mind in which, yeah, it's like a drug. You feel like you're on top of the world. You can do anything and you attack something. Yeah. But motivation always fades. And so what I've done is in my life, I've replaced the word moment, uh, the word motivation in my vocabulary with momentum. Mm, interesting. And, and that is basically having the discipline and establishing small habits that I build upon each and every day to then make them, you know, as indis- uh, no, uh, as an essential part of my life as taking a shower, for example. Yeah. And so it's always, yeah, and so it's always, you know, do a, a bit of fashion reading or do some, you know, do some brand research or practice my illustrator skills. It always needs to be something, there always needs to be some kind of forward momentum. And so when, after you do that for a little bit, it 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 doesn't become... Uh, a perceived effort it becomes just a part of your life yeah and so you don't need to rely on having that you know that rush of motivation to actually go and do something I love that I love that concept so much um it reminds me of habit stacking. I don't know if that's a concept you've read up on or are familiar with but like you said it becomes just part of your day as much as taking a shower so if you always take a shower then start doing something small after you take a shower and just stack it on top of another habit, even if it's only like a five-minute thing. And then that will become just the habit, and you'll just build on that momentum instead of the motivation. I love that concept. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Piggybacking it, it's, yeah, it's, uh, I guess, a little a little kind of cheat code for, for the listeners is, yeah, if you want to do it, piggyback the habit that you want to build on something that you already do. So let yeah. that let the thing you already do, for example, the shower, be the trigger. And so say to yourself, every time I shower, I will draw one flat in Illustrator, for example. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. I love it. Well, Alex, it's been so amazing to chat with you and hear about everything you're working on. Um, I'd love to end the show with the question I ask everyone at the end, and that is, one: what is one thing people never ask you about working in fashion that you wish they would? I really wish people would ask me how to buy. And ah. what I mean by that is, you know, what kind of things should I look for when I'm buying clothes? Like, you know, what are what are the signs of good construction? What are the signs of good quality? You know, what kind of, yeah, it's like what kind of material should I look for in, you know, let's say, an overcoat? Like, is there something I should avoid? So, yeah, just how how to buy different things. We're so, you know, we're so focused here in our Western societies on just, you know, unthinking consumerism, that there's a lack of, especially when it comes to fashion, a lack of critical thought and nuance when it comes to the clothes that you buy. Yeah. And so one thing I really wish is that people would pause and, yeah, instead of just buying something, introduce a little friction to the process and stop and ask yourself, why am I buying this? Is this something I need? And what should I be buying? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much. And where can people connect with you online? Yeah, so right now, 
you can connect with me. You can connect with me on Instagram. Uh, handle is at just another Alex Reed. Uh, you can also feel free to reach out to me by email. It's alex.reed, R-E-I-D, 230 at gmail.com. Those are the two best ways to connect with me so far. Awesome. And we'll put both of those in the show notes. And thank you so much. It was lovely to chat with you. Yeah, this was amazing. Thank you so much, Heidi. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. And a big thank you to my husband, Mark, who handles all of the tech and editing behind the scenes and makes the show possible, as well as my right-hand gal, Tara, who does so much to coordinate the guests, make sure the show gets published on time and into your earbuds, and just all the little details that go into running a podcast. She helps manage that for me. So thank you so much, Tara. And again, thank you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. As a quick reminder, SFD is way more than a podcast, and I want to make sure you get access to my best free resources to help you get ahead in the fashion industry, head on over to soheidi.com slash email, S-E-W-H-E-I-D-I.com slash email to get all of my best stuff. And you can also follow along on Instagram. I'm at soheidi there as well. And if you enjoyed this episode and if you enjoy the SFD podcast, we always love getting a review on Apple Podcasts. Take 30 seconds to leave a rating and write a review. It really does help the show out so much and I really, really appreciate it. Again, if you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, scroll down to check out the show notes wherever you're listening. Thanks so much and I'll talk to you in the next episode of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast.